0: Welcome to the Northwest Politicast. I'm Jeff Podula. This week, to unseal or to not unseal, that is the question the federal magistrate judge is wrestling with over the affidavit that led to the FBI raid of former President Donald Trump's home in Mar-a-Lago. Plus, to declassify or not to declassify. Mr. Trump claims every document found at his private home was declassified. But really, was it? Also, former Vice President Mike Pence considers testifying in front of the January 6th committee, and the most fervent anti Trump Republican in the House is defeated in the primaries. All of that coming up this hour, but first, Washington State is taking Idaho to court. Our first guest is State Attorney General Bob Ferguson. You're filing what is called an amicus brief, a friend of the court brief in this lawsuit regarding Idaho's near-total abortion ban. Why is Washington getting involved here?
1: Yeah, we're getting involved because... At the bottom line, Washingtonians are going to be impacted. So if you're a woman from Washington State who happens to be in Idaho, your life could be threatened because a doctor may not provide care to you because that doctor fears a criminal prosecution for trying to save your life if you need an abortion. And secondly, we're seeing a dramatic increase in women from Idaho coming to Washington State and utilizing our services here. Um, that creates a real strain on our system here in Washington state. And so for both those reasons, Washington has a very significant impact um, in terms of what's happening over there.
0: But couldn't you make that argument with any state that's banning abortion, a Washingtonian woman who is in, say, Texas, who may need to get abortion services there, or someone from Texas coming here to get abortion services.
1: You bet. In fact, that's why about 20 additional states have joined us on this brief. Illinois, New York, for example. Those states may not have the border situation we do and the influx of women from Idaho coming to their states, but if you're a woman in Illinois and you travel to Idaho for a vacation and you have an emergency situation and you're pregnant and you go to the hospital seeking emergency care uh, to save your life, The way Idaho law is right now is it violates a federal law that mandates that doctor provide that care to you. Um, And even that means terminating your pregnancy. And so this law is extreme, um, but it's also unlawful. And that's why we filed this brief. What is that federal law that is at issue here? Yeah, there's a federal law that makes sense. The law says that Every hospital, essentially, in the United States must provide emergency care if someone shows up at that hospital in need of emergency care. In other words, they have to stabilize that person. They cannot turn you away. That's a logical law that I think people of all political stripes can agree on. What's happening here in Idaho, though, is that they are saying that it is a crime for a doctor to provide an abortion unless that doctor can prove in court the burden is on the doctor to prove that the woman's life was in danger. Well, that's obviously going to have a dramatic chilling effect on that doctor. It's not like a red light goes off when you know empirically someone's life is in danger. How much bleeding do you need to wait for uh, from a woman before you can say now her life's in danger? And so, as you might imagine, doctors might quite reasonably be reluctant to act to save woman's life if they fear a prosecution from a local prosecutor in Idaho, and they might be uh, placed in jail because of their actions.
0: So it sounds like your amicus brief in the the filing in this lawsuit really only applies to those emergency situations where the mother's life is in danger. Is that correct?
1: In this particular case, that's exactly right, that this is a portion of Idaho's extreme law that criminalizes abortions, um, but it takes a part of it that actually violates a federal law. And that federal law, of course, requires every hospital to provide emergency assistance of someone who shows up the hospital, this Idaho law essentially prevents that. And that's unlawful and impacts Washingtonians potentially.
0: And this would apply to really any state that has this total abortion ban, correct? Because you're citing you're a federal law in how it's affecting Washingtonians, regardless of where they may be.
1: That's correct. So we're active in a case that's proceeding in Texas right now that has a similar factual background as well. And so my team has been preparing even before the U.S. Supreme Court decided to overturn Roe v. Wade, we anticipated the court would do that. And we also anticipated that some red states across the country might adopt draconian laws that could violate federal law um, and have an impact on Washingtonians. We've been preparing for that. And when we see cases like this develop in other states where we think something unlawful is happening that can have a negative impact on Washingtonians, that's when we get involved. On
0: a similar subject, we're seeing Texas and some other states try to ban abortions or ban their own people from traveling out of state to mm-hmm. get abortions. Uh, you know, say Texas or Idaho coming to Washington state to get those abortion care services. Uh, your office is working on that as well. What's the latest on that case?
1: Yeah, what I would say is that if any of your listeners are reading about a state, that is seeking to penalize individuals either on the civil side or criminal side who seek to get an abortion in Washington state, in other words, seek to criminalize a provider here, or someone who assists a woman in Texas, for example, who comes to Washington state to get an abortion. When you see laws like that proposed or laws like that adopted, my office, my team is very involved in making sure that... We are advocating for Washingtonians so that they are not penalized either on the civil side or criminal side for taking actions that are entirely lawful here in Washington state. So we're going to see a lot of these laws get passed, I think, in the coming months and years, and we just need to be prepared for all those. And that's exactly what we're doing.
0: Have you seen any cases so far?
1: Uh, Not quite yet, although I think that's literally only a matter of time before we see something like that. We are starting to see news reports where authorities in those states are You know, tracking women's Facebook posts, that type of thing to try and accumulate evidence in a potential case. So unfortunately, this is the kind of a dark reality that we have, that these states aren't simply satisfied with outlawing abortion or even criminalizing it, that they are taking steps to penalize individuals who come to our state or even potentially providers here in our state assist those women and and that we just can't have.
0: Can those states even do that? Because you're talking about regulating actions that happen outside their jurisdiction and anything that crosses state lines is the purview of the federal government, correct?
1: Yeah, I mean, the short answer is, which is never very satisfactory for folks, is it depends. And so it is our belief, it is my belief, that if something is happening here in Washington state, um, a provider provides reproductive health options for someone here or an individual here assists a woman to come to Washington state seeking an abortion that another state cannot reach into Washington or reach into that person to penalize them. That said, um, that doesn't mean that those states won't try. And we take that threat very, very seriously. And we'll be doing everything we can to make sure that from a legal perspective, upholding Washington state law and trying to defend the rights of those individuals and entities.
0: All right, Attorney General Bob Ferguson, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you. Really appreciate it. We have to take a quick break, but when we come back, were all of those documents found at Mar-a-Lago declassified or not? And if so, why did the former president have them when they were supposed to be with the National Archives? The Northwest Politicast continues after this. Welcome back to the Northwest Politicast. I'm Jeff Pogolo. Well, is there a magic wand that presidents have? And we asked that question because that's kind of what former President Donald Trump is saying he has as far as these classified documents that were found at Mar-a-Lago. He now claims that they were unclassified, but there has been no evidence of the steps taken to unclassify those documents. Now, to be clear, we don't know exactly what is in the papers. We are hearing that there may be something to do with the nation's nuclear arsenal, and we're expecting more on that to come out in the weeks and months ahead. But joining me now is ABC's Andy Field. And let's first get into this idea of classified or not classified, because the president can declassify material, but there's a process by which he has to do that, right?
2: Right. Uh, you're, the assumption here is, well, the president waves a magic wand and suddenly, poof, it's declassified. Uh, In theory, that's correct, but in practice, that never happens. Uh, Although Scooter Libby, remember him? Uh, He was the aide to Dick Cheney, who had released classified information uh, that basically outed Valerie Plame, the CIA operative, and did some incredible damage to her career and, uh, some people say, to national security. Uh, He claimed in his trial, which, by the way, he was convicted of, that those uh, classified documents were unclassified by George W. Bush. Now, we never actually heard from George W. Bush, I don't think, that he that he indeed did that, but that was the claim. Uh, of course, Scooter Libby was eventually pardoned, so he didn't have to worry about it. But he was convicted, and for quite a bit less than the documents that Donald Trump apparently has. The process is supposed to be that if someone wants something to be classified, they go through various channels. They have to go through all the departments where this might be affecting something. The Defense Department, Homeland Security, the Interior Department, the Treasury Department, whatever it is that might touch upon those specialties, those experts have to look at it and say, does declassifying this do any damage to the United States? So it's just not the president saying, hey, I just took my documents to the White House residents from the Oval Office and poof, they're declassified. Even Ambassador Bolton, who was his former national security advisor, basically laughed at that, saying it's laughable that. That doesn't happen, that there is a process. There's a paper trail to do these things. You don't just wave the magic wand and make it happen.
0: But this isn't new, is it? If you remember the Trump presidency, there was a time when he released photos on Twitter of an attack on Iran's nuclear capability, correct? And and that was supposed to be classified information.
2: Well, his advisors were told, in retrospect, uh, told him not to do that, that, you know, we really can't put this stuff out because this is going to compromise American safety, American troop safety, how we got this information, all of which Donald Trump apparently ignored and tweeted out the picture of it. And they said that that did damage to U.S. intelligence overseas. Even though the president has the authority to declassify things, most of them are wise enough to listen to their advisors on whether they should declassify them.
0: Have we learned any more of what was in these documents that were at Mar-a-Lago?
2: Well, certainly the, the Justice Department didn't say anything about it because they've got an ongoing investigation against the president. Most judges in these cases do not have this stuff released for the very matter that A, it would uh, hurt the folks who are witnesses and testifying. Some of them may be confidential. And so that would put them at risk. Uh, It would also risk the case itself. That if you put this information out here, then the person who's the target of the information knows exactly what you're doing and can find some way to sabotage it or try to get the witnesses to not talk. This is why the Justice Department didn't mention a word about this search warrant. We only found out about it because Donald Trump put it on his own truth social
0: so how much did the fbi take from mar-a-lago because we had known that president trump or former president trump had already handed over i think it was 13 or 15 cases of documents and then from that the fbi wanted more and they went down to mar-a-lago in florida and, and raided the home of the former president
2: well here are the questions we don't know answers to one how did the fbi know that there were more boxes there that's number one Um, The assumption is that there is some witness who's on the inside that's been feeding them this information and saying, gee, I'm concerned about this. There are people going in and out of these offices looking at this stuff, which is why they issued a subpoena to the president several months ago to say, hey, we know you have more information there. We need you to hand it over to the National Archives. And to which we're told Donald Trump and his folks said, no, it's our stuff. It's not yours. We're not handing it over. And they didn't, which is what led to these justice lawyers going to the judge to say, hey, we think there could be some national security risk from the information we've gathered. And then they presented the affidavit to the judge uh, who made a decision to say, yeah, there's enough probable cause here. Go in there and get the documents. As to what's in those documents, probably the only way we're ever going to find out about all the details there is if the Justice Department decides, yes, there's a case, a grand jury comes out with a with a verdict saying, yes, we think there's evidence to charge the former president or people around him with misusing these documents. And then it goes to trial. And that's when some of this evidence would probably come out.
0: But Republicans have been highly critical of the FBI, raid. Some even saying that former President Obama took documents with him when he left office. Is there any truth to that?
2: Not according to the National Archives. Uh, they came out pretty quickly after Donald Trump made that false claim he he said that uh, the fbi took three passports uh, two two of which had expired only one had expired turns out that two of them had expired that they were all diplomatic passports they weren't his personal passports and that most presidents get to keep the one active diplomatic passport uh only as a courtesy those are different than the ones that you and i get because it really helps you get through customs when you go to other countries apparently that was mixed in with a bunch of other documents, which is why the FBI took it when they discovered they had them, they gave them right back.
0: So what are we expecting next? What is going to happen in this case?
2: Well, the judge uh, will make a decision on uh, the arguments to release this information. And uh, the likelihood I would imagine is that the answer is going to be no, because it would, uh, the public interest and seeing what's in this it would probably not override the interest in the Justice Department pursuing justice and seeing if there's a case here. But we'll have to see.
0: All right, ABC's Andy Field from Washington, D.C. Thank you so much. Thanks. We have to take another quick break, but coming up, a closer look at the FBI raid of Mar-a-Lago and why the Justice Department sought those documents in the first place. When the Northwest Politicast returns in just a moment. Welcome back to the Northwest Politicast. I'm Jeff Podula. A federal judge says he's leaning towards releasing the affidavit that led to the raid of former President Donald Trump's private home, Elisa Jaffe got the latest from ABC's Justin
3: Finch. Justin, the federal judge says the affidavit used to raid former President Trump's house shouldn't be sealed. This is something that we could find out more about next Thursday, correct?
4: Uh, That's right. Uh, This was a very uh, interesting turn of events, essentially giving the Justice Department about a week to present its redactions to the affidavit because the judge here is saying that he is not prepared to find that the affidavit should be fully sealed. So they have now seven days to go through the document and make their suggestions for what should be removed. But the justice team here in their case is saying, the redactions that we make will amount to essentially nothing because almost every piece of what's in there is a roadmap to our case and it's critical because if we release it, it could compromise not only our investigation, but the witnesses who are involved. And of course, the media on the other side is saying the public has a right to know and should be able to see what prompted this unprecedented search of a former president's home.
3: We are entitled to monitor the affairs of our government at all levels. And that is the interest in this essence that we were asserting today. A top DOJ official is warning what could possibly happen if this information is unsealed. Jay Bratt told a judge amateur sleuths on the Internet could discover personal information about witnesses. And he argued that the affidavit has substantial grand jury information in it as well. And then when we heard from former Vice President Mike Pence yesterday saying that Republicans who are attacking the FBI were wrong. So you have to wonder what this could mean when it comes to more attacks against agents.
4: That's right. There is a a lot to kind of weigh here in this decision to uh, release portions or or parts of this affidavit uh, because of what we saw just within a day of the raid last week of Mar-a-Lago. In addition to working to not compromise its case or witnesses, the Justice Department, too, is, of course, working to keep those who work in its employ safe as well. There's also talk as well, the former president releasing surveillance video that would show the faces of some of those agents that has yet to be determined if or when that could happen. But there's so much sensitivity surrounding not only the investigation, the witnesses involved, but also the FBI agents who were just clocking into work that day and uh, following orders, essentially.
3: And then you've got uh, Representative Elise Stefanik, the number three House Republican, saying this was a complete abuse and overreach of authority. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, too, calling for defunding the FBI.
4: That kind of rhetoric appears to be what the former vice president was trying trying to tamper down in his remarks, you know, reminding his party that from where he stands, Republicans are a party of law and order, and they stand with those who are on that thin blue line at the federal, state and local level.
3: I see that the attorney who's representing a media coalition is saying that the judge is planning to protect the identity of the confidential informants.
4: And justice is arguing back that just in the specificity of of their knowledge and what they're talking about, it it could be deduced even who they are, despite redactions. And it's very possible that the justice team could submit a nearly blacked out affidavit. But the judge is also withholding the, the possibility that that he could do his own redactions and, and submit those to the public. And even if on that day they do decide to release redacted materials, it doesn't mean even then we could see them right away. ABC's Justin
3: Finch. Thank you so much, Justin.
0: That's Elisa Jaffe. And for more on this, let's get an expert opinion. I'm joined now by former FBI agent and ABC News analyst Brad Garrett. First off, what is this affidavit for exactly? This isn't is this, this isn't the search warrant, is it?
5: Now the search warrant is what was released. That's going to be a one-page document signed by the agent, signed by a Department of Justice lawyer, and then ultimately signed by the judge authorizing the search. It'll list what violations potentially they're covering in the search, generally what they're searching for, and then what was released is that piece of paper, and then an inventory. That's what we saw a week ago. You know, the issue has been all along that many people, as you just mentioned, would like to see the entire document. What isn't released is what they call the probable cause affidavit. That is the narrative. In other words, sort of a a, a history of at least part of this investigation to justify the seizure of classified and or other documents at President Trump's residence in Florida. It could be fairly long because you're going to have to convince a judge to give you permission to go into a a recent U.S. president, which has never been done before. So my guess is it's got a lot of information in it because I think a judge and the lawyers that approved it before I ever got to the judge would require a lot of information that's corroborated as, as far as being accurate.
0: With all that in mind, there's a lot of people who say that you shouldn't release this, and and you're one of those that says that this is going to damage national security if this information were released.
5: All I can say is potentially, because I don't know what's in it, I can guess what's in it. I mean things like uh, references to human sources. They won't be listed by name, but depending on how much of this probable cause affidavit would be released, it, if and when it is, people could figure out the identity of the person or persons techniques and methods as to how things were collected if the intelligence community was involved. A lot of that stuff is classified or most of it's classified. This is a balance for the judge and the Justice Department in that how it it negatively impacts the Department of Justice and the FBI to continue to investigate the case if there's information out there they still haven't resolved. Because I guarantee you there'll be plenty of things, people to interview, other search warrants, phone records to to go through, maybe wiretaps to go through, whatever it might be, there's that balancing act between the public's need to know and allowing the government to actually investigate a case. I'll tell you, based on personal experience, many times the more information that's out there makes it harder to investigate because people sort of know what direction you're going. They may start getting rid of things. They may have people pressure them to, to talk or say a different direction. By the time you get to them, it, so it, it it can create problems. But you know, in a recent court ruling, it looks like the judge is inclined to release it and has directed the Department of Justice to redact it and bring it back to him. Now they have said, Jeff, earlier that if they had to redact it, they'd have to redact most of it. You know, it's hard to figure out what's really going on here. But keep one thing in mind: this is a U.S. magistrate, which is the lower court in the U.S. district court system. So what will happen is the lawyers at the Department of Justice will appeal this to the sitting district court judges in Miami to see if if in fact they can convince him or her to overrule the magistrate because they clearly can do that.
0: Based on what you're saying, the FBI may be investigating Trump or his allies for something far more than simply taking documents.
5: I think that's right. I mean, if you look at it, there's an obstruction statute listed, and then there's a reference to the Espionage Act. You know, when you get to that, uh, it, it's really complex. But uh, the, the simplistic answer, I suppose, would be if you have highly sensitive information and you provide it, and nobody's suggesting this has occurred, but if you, if you have it and provide it to a foreign government, let's say the Russians, the Saudis, et cetera, you may well have violated the espionage act your mind could sort of run wild about what that means i think that's not a wise thing to do until we know more information we don't know jeff obviously what they know and their motivation is you know driven specifically to go into his residence you know based on what they already know or have found in their investigation so we're still in the dark as to what are the specifics and we may or may not know more In the coming days.
0: Finally, before we let you go, you're a crime and terrorism analyst. You deal with this stuff all the time. Republicans are saying this is a continuation of the witch hunt that Donald Trump always argued against. In your view, is the FBI playing political games here or are they doing everything by the book?
5: I think so. I mean, the idea, and you heard these terms like weaponizing the Department of Justice and the FBI it's just not going to be true. I will tell you that the even though the FBI has made some bonehead mistakes in the past and, and outright done some stupid things, but of course that happens everywhere, right? When you talk about a big outfit. But that doesn't really reflect who the FBI or the DOJ are day in and day out, which was my experience of being dedicated, honest, uh, apolitical. That doesn't mean that they don't have opinions or thoughts or feelings about particular candidates, but it's irrelevant to following the facts. And I believe that that's what they're doing, despite the fact how difficult that is. You know, Congress, some of the Republican congressmen obviously have a different agenda as to why they want that out there. But The idea that it's a wish hunt, it's politically driven is just not accurate
0: all right brad garrett crime and terrorism analyst for abc news thank you so much for your time and insight you're welcome we have to take another quick break but when we come back mr trump's vice president might soon turn state's witness when the northwest politicast continues after this welcome back to the northwest politicast i'm jeff podula Here's Elisa Jaffe.
3: Former Vice President Mike Pence breaking his silence about whether or not he'd testify before the House Select Committee investigating the attack on the Capitol.
2: If there was an invitation
3: to participate, I would consider it. Justin, let's talk more about what Pence was saying today when it came to this. It was sort of a surprise to hear him address this, wasn't it? It it was a bit of
4: a surprise. We have seen uh, the former vice president uh, speak in public forums before, but in a very much more nuanced tone about what he thinks about this investigation and his role in it. Uh, This still was not a very excited, affirmative declaration that he would testify. He said he would consider it. It would, of course, have to go through his lawyers and and that whole process. Sources do tell ABC News that the committee investigators have for months been privately talking with Pence's lawyers about potential testimony down the line. It doesn't mean that at this point his testimony is crucial. We are hearing the committee has had a lot of information coming its way and that Pence's testimony alone may not be necessary to fill in the gaps that they're looking for but it does not rule out his testimony down the line or potentially with the justice department to also carrying out its investigation want to stress though again still a very uh, nuanced uh commitment if you will to potentially speaking so not forthright but still says a lot about where he could be potentially politically on this issue seeing as how this forum where he spoke is one where presidential candidates in the past have stopped by to show their faces to business leaders in new hampshire and new england
3: He's been openly critical of this committee, but that doesn't mean he wouldn't be critical during his testimony, right? Uh, That's true. And we
4: also heard him kind of wed his consideration to the role of his office as former vice president, almost as if to say, I am compelled to do this if I decide to. By virtue of the role that I held, I perhaps may not agree with it per se or Would not want to as a private citizen, but in this role as vice president, I would have to consider differently how I would feel about testifying if I were called.
3: Does testifying impact him if he chooses to run for president?
4: That will be the big question here. Uh, Again, this is a forum in New Hampshire where so often they see presidential candidates come through, make their pitches, get their sea legs for a potential run. So it, it does say something that he had to at least address this issue in such a forum. Clearly, it's on the minds of so many people right now. These hearings have brought forth so much information to the American people. The former vice president here saying he's aware that all of this is going on and that if an invitation were to come his way, he would certainly consider it. It would be hard to ignore that committee or its work at any point right now in in Washington, but also if he were considering a role down the line as a potential Republican nominee for president.
3: Another thing on the minds of so many Americans, the attacks on the FBI, and, and this is what Pence had to say today about that.
2: Our party stands with the men and women who serve on the thin blue line at the federal and state and local level. And these attacks on the FBI must stop. Calls to defund the FBI are just as
4: wrong as calls to defund the police.
3: Is that him siding with members of the Republican Party or pulling back from members of the Republican Party?
4: This is kind of not unlike his sort of uh, down the line comments about potentially testifying, really kind of riding the center here. It it appears to as well Um, in these comments. He's not in any way saying there's not cause for concern here. He does call for radical transparency, uh, essentially from the attorney general and the judge. Justice Department, while at the same time saying that their place is not to, as Republicans, to, to not endanger or, or call out uh, those who are in law enforcement or the FBI to reserve their calls for accountability, perhaps even their concern for the attorney general and others who are higher up uh, in this investigation. He does also call for everyone to wait to see where these uh, facts come out in this investigation as it goes along. But he also calls for to the attorney general to make information uh, available to the American people, really trying to steer a lot of the. The emotion behind that raid of Mar-a-Lago last week, away from the actual people, the agents, the the law enforcement members who have to be a part of that, and more so towards those who make decisions in those situations, such as Attorney General Merrick Garland. Uh, He does not talk about, though, notably as well. Um, what's at stake here uh, about these documents? Were they mishandled? How did they get to Mar-a-Lago? Those were questions that he, he did not necessarily address in those comments.
3: Where does he stand within the GOP? He, he's in New Hampshire. Is this him prepping for a run? And, and how do his colleagues see him?
4: You have to imagine it's not by accident. There's there's a reason why he's appearing uh, this early on in a potential presidential cycle um, in a region of the country known to become politically active for a presidential race earlier than most other states. This seems to be, in some ways, if you are trying to read the tea leaves here, a, a way to dip a toe into the water, so to speak, to kind of see how am i received in talking about the issues that are are going on right now in the political zeitgeist uh me coming out as a former vice president uh my coming out and addressing some very real uh concerns with the president i I served with at the time and how do i acknowledge what's going on while also trying to distance myself enough to stand on my own and my own brand We know that Pence is popular or had been where he came from in Indiana. Um, He's not been very vocal on issues of of the current political state in recent months uh, in leaving office. So this could be him getting back in and trying to reestablish that rapport with his party about where he stands um, currently and what he could possibly do if he wins vocal support from people within his party. ABC's Justin
3: Finch. Thank you so much, Justin.
0: That's Elisa Jaffe. Now we have to take another quick break, but when we come back, Wyoming voters pick Trump over Cheney when the Northwest Politicast continues in just a moment. Welcome back to the Northwest Politicast. I'm Jeff Podula. Finally this week, Wyoming Republicans voted overwhelmingly to fire Representative Liz Cheney. This over her opposition to former President Trump and her actions on the January 6th committee. Elisa Jaffe got the latest from ABC's Alex
3: Stone. Alex, I'm not sure that it sounds like a somber day for Liz Cheney because she came out swinging. Yeah, I don't think it's a somber day at all for her. In fact, uh, I asked some of her
6: supporters last night of you know, it didn't seem like one there was any surprise and it went exactly how the the polling indicated it was going to go. Uh, Liz Cheney, she lost by big margins and, and going into it, they knew that's probably what it was going to be. But uh, beyond that, it's an issue of that they don't think that that she is done. In fact, this is more of a pivot into something else. And it almost seems like supporters are saying something bigger is on the horizon. She indicated last night that maybe a presidential run. She kind of likened herself to Abraham Lincoln and that he lost for the House and the Senate before he became president. Today she says that they haven't decided on that. We know from her campaign that she's going to use some of the $14 million she has in the the political bank to create an organization that she's going to announce here in the next couple of weeks that will be solely focused on making sure that Donald Trump does not become president again. So some of the money will go that way. Will she run for president? Maybe. But where does she fit into all of that? Uh, As a Republican, Trump says don't vote for her, just like we saw here in Wyoming, and then uh, chances go out the window as an independent. Does anybody ever really get traction uh, running for president as an independent? Uh, Democrat, they may love her right now, based on going up against Trump, but when Democrats hear that, she is very conservative in her voting and pro-life and pro-gun Second Amendment. It seems like that would go out the window. So it's not really clear where she would fit into it running for president. Uh, there's some thought maybe she goes independent just to pull Republican voters who don't like Donald Trump away from him, knowing that she wouldn't have enough to win. He wouldn't have enough to win, but it would fulfill her vow to make sure he is not president. Almost a kamikaze mission at, at that point. Um, but we're so far away. We don't know if he'll run. We don't know if she'll run all of that. Just uh, conjecture right now. Nobody knows.
3: Did we hear from her father? No,
6: uh, Dick Cheney was there last night. I was standing about 10 feet away from him. He, uh, we didn't think he was going to be there. He is getting up in age and it, we had no indication that he was coming, but he ended up coming. Um, but he did not speak last night after her speech. He uh, was the media was moved away from him. He got into an SUV uh, and then he was out of there. But uh, but no, we have not heard from him.
3: Did we hear from President Trump regarding Cheney's loss?
6: Yeah, he immediately went on uh, his social media network, uh, True Social, and took uh, the, the victory, saying that they had won. Uh, he made a, a number of comments on there, but but he is saying this is a win in Wyoming. Uh, Harriet Hageman. Again, she thanked President Trump for the win. She knows why she won. And she was kind of his person who he wanted here in Wyoming. She used to be against him and for Cheney she changed not that long ago and now is very pro him and anti Cheney um, but but yeah he is uh, celebrating the win here in Wyoming
3: Liz Cheney has said she's going to make sure that former President Trump will not become president again has she said how she plans to do that
6: no uh, and we don't know uh, but she says that is her mission it may be running for president it may be this uh, commission this organization that her campaign says that, that she is setting up but it doesn't seem like even she totally knows what that means she's got a lot of money she says that she is going to spend every waking hour moving forward to make sure that he does not step foot in the oval office again but exactly how she's going to do that nobody yet
3: knows abc's alex stone thank you alex and that's elisa jaffe and that will do it
0: for this episode of the northwest politicast if you like the show please leave a rating and a review in apple podcasts and for more be sure to check out our other shows such as northwest news this week life beat with marina rockinger and puget sound now with bill swartz all are available at nwnewsradio.com or on your favorite podcast app. I'm Jeff Podula. Thank you for listening and have a good week.